0: Hi everybody and welcome to uh, another episode of uh, a minor change actually, Shaky's cricketing and sports journeys now as I'm going to be doing some crossover with some other sports as well as well as cricket um, just to keep uh, as much of the audience entertained as possible. But today I have a, a very special guest um, all the way from uh, sunny South Africa. Um, I am joined by South African legend. Um, and Scottish legend as well. I say alaikum to Umar Henry.
1: Wa alaikum salam.
0: Lovely to have you. Lovely to have you with me. Um, how is uh, how is life in South Africa?
1: So far, so good. Um, you know, we're still sort of managing our way through the the coronavirus, but um, so far, so good. We can't complain. You know, uh, we might possibly still have the peak of this virus hitting us maybe in a few weeks' time. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, it's a global virus and, and we've just got to sort of make sure that we all keep safe and, you know, we're we disciplined enough to keep our distances and just do what is required mm-hmm. um, so that we can at least minimize the, the damage of the virus.
2: Yeah,
0: no, absolutely. And how have the how have the hospitals been dealing with things over there? Are they have they been have they got it under control, or is it quite has it been quite overwhelming?
1: Very challenging, very challenging, um, like it has been in most countries. And us being a third world country, you know, um, we we I think the fact that we sort of bought a bit of time with the with an early lockdown sort of help the hospitals to just get themselves ready. But I, I don't think we, we, we have the resources. Once the peak is going to hit us, and if it does hit us, um, we might be overwhelmed with, yeah. with the actual deaths and, the, and the, the actual infections, you understand?
0: Yeah, there's obviously, I've, I've spent quite a bit of time in South Africa, played a bit of cricket over there, and obviously, I've seen there's a lot of poverty, um, poverty struck in areas. Um, so I can imagine, uh, obviously, my background as well being Pakistani, it's similar in Pakistan as well. You know, they yeah. can't really afford to get overwhelmed by it because, you know, they don't all have a system like the NHS over in the UK. Um, so obviously, all we can do is, is, is keep our prayers, keep our faith, and hope that, they, you know, we can, we can stay safe and healthy. But the main thing is those who can self-isolate, and keep yourself on a safe social distance. Um, but no, let's let's go on, and we'll talk about some some more positive things um, because this has been this has been taking up the, the headlines a lot. But I want to talk to you, obviously um, Omar, about your your career and your life. And you were born twenty third of January, nineteen fifty two. Correct. In a lovely place, you grew up in a lovely place called Stellenbosch, um, yep. Cape Province. Yeah. Tell me about your family, tell me about your childhood growing up.
1: Well, look, um, basically, from the time I was born until, what, um, more or less 92, um, born and bred in Stellenbosch, Mm -hmm. under the apartheid regime, um, you know, whereby basically, you as a non-white was almost classed as a second-class citizen.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you couldn't you couldn't attend the school that you want to do. You couldn't go to many places. Um, a lot of things was restricted for you. So you know, separation was basically part of your life um, yeah. while you're growing up. And, and, and you've just got to make the best of it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I was fortunate that I was born um, in a place that was named, um, and the Afrikaans word for the place was flakta. Now, flakta in English, it's a flat piece of land. Okay, so that area was very flat, and uh, we basically was the neighbors. The street that I was brought up in was basically uh, bordered on the university campus of Stellenbosch, which is a very famous university. um, You know, uh, the leaders of the of the of the regime the political regime at that time some of the leaders studied there some of the best sportsmen came out of that university Mm -hmm. so you can imagine the town that i was brought up with in Mm -hmm. um, you know how it sort of was brought upon me uh, from a political side and from a sporting side Mm -hmm. Um, and i sort of just inherited the sporting side of it. Um, And politics, although it was confronted, I was confronted with it on a daily basis, it never dominated my life.
0: Sport. Because, so I'm trying trying to understand. I mean, I've grown up in a city called Glasgow, and the worst thing that maybe happened to me growing up was, you know, I might get called a packy. You know, yeah. every now and then. Yeah. But I went to school with white people, yeah. all different races. I wasn't restricted where I could go, which shops I went to. I'm assuming you were not even allowed to go to certain shops, certain, yeah. certain. Uh, obviously uh, sporting wise, you were probably not allowed to go to certain sporting clubs because you, you were you were not accepted there. Um, you know, you was that must have been quite, quite frustrating to to be in that situation. I mean, I can't even imagine what that would have been like. But you, would it must have made you quite angry as, as a child, or did you just learn to accept it?
1: I learned, I learned to to, to bypass it and not let it dominate my life,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and restrict me. Mm-hmm. Um, it possibly restricted a lot of people that was in the same boat as what I was at the time. But for me, you know, the sport was the sort of... Um, diverted me away from all that... Um, negativity. confrontation, and... And, 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 and what's-his-name, that they, they, it brought upon you as a, as a human being. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I played sport... From the time I wake up in the morning, mm-hmm. um, I think I can categorically say to you, I went to school to play sport. I didn't go to school to to get a degree or to yeah. pass the exam yeah i I went to sport because i uh, I could play soccer, I could play rugby, I could play cricket, I could play tennis, I could mm-hmm. play table tennis, we did a bit of boxing, you know. For me, that was the excitement we did, athletics. So 12 months of the year going to school, I was quite happy to go and do that. And when I come from school, possibly didn't do all my homework, you know, played more sport.
2: Tomorrow I'll get a
1: in. But that was me keeping myself busy and not letting the policies of apartheid that basically degrade you as a human being not that that sort of become a negative influence on your growth,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
1: um, which I think it it did happen to a lot of my mates who was caught up in this political sphere and, and, and sort of got angry and, and protest and whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. So that community that I was brought up with, I mean, it had a mixture of, People who was anti-government and sportsmen that was very, very good in the sport they played. Mm-hmm. And I sort of pulled that way yeah, towards that side of it. Um, and I must say I've learned an enormous amount from them as a kid um, because you know, I never played official cricket or any, well, basically soccer at primary school and athletics. That was the only two sports I played at primary school. Okay. Or could have played at primary school. The other sport you had to play after school where you organized it yourself. Your mates, yeah. whether it's on the pavement between two trees, whether it is you just on a piece of land and you played. And in those days, will will take me to Newlands. Now South Africa only played against New Zealand,
2: mm-hmm.
1: England, mm-hmm. and Australia.
0: Also, they would not compete against any Pakistan. West Indies. India. Sri
1: Lanka. Nothing of that. That's crazy. So my grandfather would take me to 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 Newlands.
2: Yeah.
1: And there's a dedicated space on the ground only for non-whites. So I would sit there and I would watch um, the likes of Trevor Goddard, Ali Bacher, Eddie Barlow, uh, Graham Pollock, Barry Richards, Mike Proctor, um, Colin Bland, real world-class cricketers. Yeah. I will watch playing against England with um, Boycott, Mike Smith, um, Barrington, um, those kind of guys. So, for me, Somebody that never had any coaching, I had to steal with the eye.
0: Yeah, I get and oh, just what just, just soaking it all in,
1: watching absorb whatever I saw and what I liked. Mm-hmm. So if I see somebody fielding well in the covers or in gully, I will copy that. Yeah. I will go home and I will do that. Mm -hmm. When I see Colin Bland throwing in a ball from the boundary, you know, stumps height all the way from the boundary. Yeah. I mean, that was for me, that was poetry. Yeah. You know, and it, and it lands in line with the stumps in the keeper's gloves. Uh, I mean, then I will go and I will throw a ball against the wall and I'll start off say 22 meters
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then I'll go 30 meters and then I'll go 40 meters
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you, you just copy all the time. The same with bowling, the same with batting. Um, and that's how I learned. So, did you
0: not have a cricket club where you're not allowed to, go, did you have like a, I don't even like, it's hard for me even sometimes to, to say it like this, but I mean, I've spent time in South Africa, even up until recently. I still could sense yeah. there's still some segregation, you know, in different in different areas. Like there were some all coloured clubs. I played for a coloured club when I was in um, Pretoria, so I was I was amazed oh, right. that even up until recently you had an all coloured team. So did you not have a cricket club? When when did you first get to go to an actual cricket club?
1: Well, I when I went to high school, mm-hmm. um, fortunately. Well, it was the only high school I could go to. Um, okay. The only non-white high school in Stellenbosch. Okay. And uh, when I arrived at the high school, the school itself entered the club league on a Saturday. Right. So we had a teacher with 10 learners playing on a Saturday.
2: Yeah
1: against adults my father's age okay. or my uncle's age, right? So, I arrived there and I was 14, 15 years old and the only game that the school organized against another high school from Cape Town, the teacher who was our coach and the captain of the team um, picked me. And I was 15. Okay. So the day that we're going to have to go and practice and prepare for this game now, they found out that the pads in the bag, in the school bag was too big for me.
2: Okay.
1: The gloves was too big for me. Yeah. So they had to go to the shop And buy special pads for me, special gloves for me, so that I can play in this game because they want me, they want to register me for the club to play on a Saturday. Right. So I went and I played in this game, uh, bowl. When I went into bat, first ball I got, we play on a matting wicket. Okay. The surface is gravel that has been wet. And roll, mm-hmm. rock hard, baked in the sun. And then there's like this coconut mat that they roll and stretch. So it is very bouncy. Okay. Length balls length balls don't hit top of off stump. no. Length balls is like a bouncer coming through by the throat. Okay. So I got hit between the chest and my stomach, the first ball I faced. Okay. And I was out for the count. That was me, carried off in a stretcher, game over. Oh,
0: nice start to your, nice start to your playing career. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, just to go, just to try and get the picture here. This, right, so, so you went to high school. You, they, that was your first time being involved in what was like a team to play for. Then a club Correct. spotted you, wanted to register you. But this club that spotted
1: you, was this a colored league or was this a, what, what was the situation? No, it, was, it wasn't a club. But the school had a team right. in the local club league.
0: Okay. So, but this this school that you went to then, was it an all-coloured school? Yes, yes, yes. It was and during party. The league that you entered
1: into, was that a coloured league? It was a coloured league.
0: But, okay, okay.
1: So, it was a league in Stellenbosch. Okay. It had about 10 to 12 teams in the league. Okay. And... My family, my uncles, um and my um, elder brother and, and family play for a club team called Excelsior okay. in that league. Okay. I am now getting registered for the school. Right. So I'm gonna now play against my family team okay. for the school. LA. All right? okay. yeah. So,
0: there must have been a bit of, there must have been a bit of back and forth going on at that point between family I members. Tell
1: what, I tell you what, it is, it was, it eventually sort of, I'll, I'll tell you, before I get to the game that I played against my family club, I first, the, the teacher, the coach came to me and says, two days later, he says, look, we've registered you um, on what we've seen, um, we reckon you're good enough to play don't worry okay. about your age right okay. so they registered me and i played and uh, the second season we gelled as a very very good unit
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, we had some very good senior players um, from the learner side that was Really good players. Yep. Um The teacher himself, he taught himself cricket. He bought himself an MCC coaching book. Okay. And he coached the team out of that book. Okay. He would open the page on, say, grip. And he'd literally read you how to grip the bat. Wow. Or how to play a forward defensive. Right. So he will do this in a tennis court that we had on the, on the school premises so mm-hmm. that the balls don't run away. Mm-hmm. But what he did with me was he will bowl to me. And he was like a left-arm spinner just like me. Mm-hmm. But he will just lob the ball out. And it's just the two of us on the pitch, on the field, and then he will say to me play the shot that you want to play and whether i hit the ball for four or for six or for two he will go and fetch the ball
2: wow.
1: and come back
0: very good very very nice
1: man i tell you what he was it was it was so dedicated you know that i i owed him an enormous amount for the sacrifices and what he did for me mm-hmm. um, and basically he gave me the freedom he hardly said to me don't play that shot or don't bowl that ball
2: mm-hmm.
1: or don't throw the ball like that he just gave me the freedom to play you were just allowed to
0: express yourself. How how you Absolutely. seem natural, natural naturally, naturally expressing yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, when did you when did you realize? What age did you realize that you were a uh, you had this left arm spin talent? Was that what was that at that point? Had you already now? There's a lot of people you talk to; they still are undecided. Had you was that your were you was your art already? You decided you were going to be a left arm spinner.
1: Yeah. When I was watching you know, those test matches, I used to come home and we used to organize our own games on a piece of land, and, and especially during the school holidays.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We will play a five day test. Wow. We will play a five day test against another street. Yeah, love it, excellent. And, and you will now learn to, how to take wickets. Mm-hmm. Our rules were slightly different because there's no LBW. Okay. In a game like that, LBW just caused conflict. Too, problems. too, too many problems. <laughs> so it, you, you take the obvious ones, even the run out sometimes becomes a, a little yep. bit of an issue. Yep. But caught and bold, that was basically the accepted dismissals. Or catch. And absolutely. So the thing was that you learn to back for a long time and you learn to bowl for a long time and you learn to take wickets and you learn to compete
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, so all these things were sort of just stealing by the eye when you watch cricket and then you come and you implement and you learn by trial and error mm-hmm. sometimes you win sometimes you lose but you come back tomorrow again to compete again
2: mm-hmm.
1: so it was there was enjoyment, there was fun, there was aggressiveness, there were eagerness, there was commitment, um, there were conflict we had everything in front of us
2: yeah
1: you know so by the time I went officially on the cricket field, I think this teacher saw you know what else can he teach me I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. I just played yeah. I just wanted to compete so when it came to the left arm spin um, in my experience of playing unofficially with my mates and against the next three I, I, I think my, my if I look back my biggest asset at the time was the control I had mm-hmm. I knew I had to bowl to the stumps. And I didn't know how to spin the ball. Mm -hmm. Nobody told me how to spin the ball. I just looked at how people gripped the ball, fingers apart, Mm -hmm. and then I bowled. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: And and sort of self-taught at the end of the day, um, and then experiment, exploring with the ball what you can do, and that's how I basically got to know what is a skill to turn a ball or to bowl an arm ball, um, whatever the case is.
0: You know, listening to you there, it just brings back, I'm I'm comparing this to my childhood. You know, I was uh, a lot more privileged, you know, grew up in um, in Glasgow, father from Pakistan, big cricket fan. I grew up in the back garden as well, entertaining myself and, and working on things. But by the age of six, seven years old, I was taken along to Clydesdale Cricket Club. Lovely, lush, grass oh, outfield, yeah. three or four <laughs> different coaches, loads of different kids to play with, um, entered into tournaments from a young age. You know, in comparison to your childhood, you know, your your childhood reminds me more of my cousins growing up in Pakistan. They would grow up in the street yeah. playing take ball cricket. Um, self taught a lot of them. You know, natural natural talent. But you would see when a, a young Pakistani player comes into a higher level of game, they struggle initially because they don't know the yeah. the, you know, the mindset importance. But what's quite amazing, listening to you there, is that you were constantly working on your your mind as well. Like the way you say. You know, you had to bat long periods of time. You're playing a five-day test match against another street. That's quite amazing that you you were from a young age already experiencing test cricket, not the actual, not on a not on a test oval, but in a on a street. And you know, you I bet you had I bet you had just as much importance on your wicket and there than when you went in to play first class cricket and, and you know, we'll get on to talk about that, but you were training just listening to you everything you learned in your childhood. Was self just self-taught? Just watching, implementing, watching, implementing, and you were lucky to have this gentleman who encouraged you to express yourself. But you really didn't have any professional coaching or anybody, you know, a man teaching you out of a coaching manual. You, you were you were very much um, Omar, a self-taught, a self-taught cricketer with with not a lot of privileged situations to 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 get to, you know, a local club or anything. You really had to. Learn
1: the hard way almost. Well, you can call it the hard way. Um, you know, for me, looking at it, I'd rather have that life again, yeah, because it gave me the tools how to cope, yeah, when my back is against the wall and when the going gets tough,
2: yeah.
1: So I'm quite happy to go down that route again because, yep. a, my family, in our house, sport dominated. Mm-hmm. You know, Sundays was family lunch, yeah, and everybody, uncles and everybody comes and you lunch. Mm-hmm. Saturdays was sport, mm-hmm. so then you get the review of yesterday's sport. Yeah, so if you played poorly, you get criticised. Yeah. If you then, played well, you get well done, yeah and then the debate starts who was right and who was wrong and who cheated and who did this and who did that so you know, coming back to that game where I played against my uncle yeah, and he was a wicket keeper okay my mother's brother he he was a good cricketer he, opening batter, and I played against um, my Father's sister's husband. Okay. He was a fantastic cricketer. Okay. Just listening to them talking about the game as a kid was I was just absorbing all that. Mm-hmm. And then I got this day where I had to play against them. And how old were you? How old were you at this point? I was sixteen, fifteen, sixteen. Okay. And I played against them and they batted first. And we got them out for a decent score. I got a couple of wickets and we had to go in and bat. Mm -hmm. We got a good start and then we collapsed. Mm -hmm. And I went in and I was batting quite well and the game became very tight. Mm -hmm. And they brought on this leg spinner and this particular over I went on the cut, but the ball bounced little bit too much on me Mm
2: -hmm.
1: into the keeper's hands, which is my uncle okay he appealed okay and the umpire said not out (laughs) and he believed i nicked it and he said to me why are you not walking and i said well the umpire said i'm not out so why must i walk yeah he said but you nicked it i said well the umpire said i'm not out So I carried on batting Okay. and cut the long story short, we won the game.
2: Okay.
1: But after the game, the two of us had to travel in the public transport, the bus home. So I sit in the front of the bus and (laughs) he sat at the back of the bus, having a go at me. So, he was staying with us at the time, so we had to go to the same house. So, as we got into the house, he was now chasing me. And I ran into the bathroom and locked myself up. And then my mother came out, and my mother said, what's going on? So, he said, I cheated. I said no, no. I said, And I shouted from the bathroom, I said, no, mom, I didn't cheat. The umpire never gave me out. Yeah, and my mother was quite good with the laws of the of the sport. She, she was very sporty, my mother. Okay. Um, so she sort of fused the whole thing and said, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! If the umpire gave him not help, then he is not out." Okay. And my uncle was telling that story ever since he died. <laughs> so can I ask you now, Omar? Did you nick it?
0: I did, did so. I can I ask, you. Did, you nick, did
1: you nick it? I couldn't say. I couldn't say I nicked it. <laughs> I, I, to be quite honest with you, I couldn't say whether I nicked it. Okay, you know, it was long. Sometimes, sometimes
0: you can't tell, sometimes it's not, yeah. you just can't tell. Sometimes
1: I really I, I I couldn't say I nicked it. He was convinced I nicked it, you mm-hmm. know. Um. But I mean, it made a lovely story, and and he contributed himself a lot. Eventually, I played when I left school. I played for the club, yeah. and I played with them. Okay. And and you know, the the tools that they gave me, um, I mean, stood me in good stead um, wherever I played cricket. Yeah. So
0: obviously, it, it amazed me to. To, to, I was looking and doing some research. The apartheid ran from 1948 until
2: 1990.
0: That's yeah. that's that's a, that's over 40 years where people from your type of background had n- next to no opportunity to play elite level sport. I'm assuming you couldn't even play first class cricket at that. At that there was there was there was nothing.
1: Well, we had a structure, the non white cricket throughout South Africa had a structure. So we, we had a provincial structure. Right. Cape Town was Western Province. Okay, yeah. Right. And um, Hauteng, Doberg was Transvaal. Yeah. Durban was um, Natal. Mm-hmm. And then you had in Port in, in, in Elizabeth, you had EP. So we had about six provinces.
2: Right, okay. Right.
1: Okay. But that's only for non whites. So you had a you had a structure, but again,
0: it was only only the minor the colors. It yeah. probably did it didn't have any level to go above there at that point because I'm assuming you weren't allowed to be picked to play, but you weren't you obviously weren't allowed to be picked to play for South Africa.
1: Well, there was a ne- level there wasn't South African non white team selected. Okay. But that was that sort of stopped by the time I started to play provincial cricket. Mm-hmm. The, last, the last non-white cricketers that played for South Africa and there were attempts made to play against West Indies and, there were, and, and other countries that didn't play against South Africa,
2: mm-hmm. but the
1: government eventually stopped that. Okay. But they played eventually against Kenya Okay. Where, where Basil D'Oliveira, before he left South Africa, he captained the team. What year was that, Omar? Um, that was possibly around about 50s and 50, the sixties. Okay. Right. And um, just before he left for England, because he dominated the non-white South African cricket. Okay. Um, Basil was just way above, and there was a guy, a friend of the family, who played in that team, who lived in Stellenbosch. Right. Okay. And he used to transport us to Cape Town to Newlands when I was a kid. My grandfather, he used to give us a lift in his vehicle.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Newlands, and he was the opening batter. And as a kid, I saw him in a Saturday afternoon game, Saturday afternoon game, Mm -hmm. scored a double hundred in a club game. Wow. Now, when you see that as a kid, and I was the scorer of the club, I mean, you can't get better um, examples. Um, and those things stuck to my mind. So whenever I went out and played, that's what I wanted to copy. Mm-hmm. I wanted to score that the mana runs. Um, and sometimes you fail and sometimes you sulk a little bit, but you learn and you, you, you sort of just come back tomorrow again for mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. Just stay hungry all the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and that was me basically. So, looking at your teams,
0: Western Province, Boland, orange free State, to name to name a few, when did you then make your first class first class
1: debut? Well, what happened to me was i you know for the non-whites you had, you had under twenty one provincial team, okay? So that's like your entry into into provincial. Uh, structures yeah and and then you had a a b provincial team and then the a provincial team okay in in 1975 i made my senior my a team debut okay who was that for for province western province western province the non white yep. western province okay right? and during that time was when the sports boycott started. Right? But before I tell you the story was that when I was still at school when I think it was the 68 England tour where Basil was selected for England Mm -hmm. and the South African government cancelled the tour. Okay. So then Somebody brought Basil out to come and coach in Cape Town.
2: Okay.
1: And he came to our school to coach. So that was basically my first coaching session with a professional cricketer.
0: Okay.
1: Never had a coaching session. What age? What age
0: were you then? What age would you have been then, Omar?
1: I was 16. 15, 16. Still so, okay, so okay. So, we played, we, we batted and bowled and whatever, and he sort of just said a few things and encouraged you whatever you did and blah, blah, blah. And then after the coaching session, they invited the parents of the school boys that was at the, at the coaching session for a social with Basil, and they can talk and ask questions and whatever, because they were his age. Yeah. So what happened apparently was that, Anna wasn't there, what happened was that in that gathering, he made a speech. Okay. And he said that he found a boy today That if the parents are there that are present, he would like to ask them whether he can have that kid to take to England because he reckons that kid can go a long way in cricket and make a career out of cricket.
2: Okay.
1: And that kid was me. Okay. So my parents came home after that, and they just climbed into me, right? And they said, you are not going to England. <laughs> now, I don't know what was going on because I wasn't there, yep. and you are going to finish your school, and you are going to do this and you, before you're going to play cricket. It was only the next day when I got to school that the teacher told me now my head is spinning. Yeah. Now my head is spinning because somebody reckons that you can play.
0: Somebody, not just somebody.
2: A
1: serious... No, but I mean, this, this is a serious cricketer. Yeah. He's now telling you you can play. This is not just somebody.
2: Yeah.
1: So... you walk around and you think, you know? So I went home that afternoon, that evening. I don't, I didn't say much. Mm -hmm. I didn't say, I didn't challenge my, my parents, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: nothing. I just took it. You're not going to let me go. So that's it. You know, 16 year old, leave the home, never been away from home ever. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You know, my first language is Afrikaans. I don't, Don't speak a word of English only in the class at school. And that's for 40 minutes of the period. So that's my English gone. You understand? Mm -hmm. So I just left it. Then I played and I started to play provincial cricket, non-white, under 21, B team, Western province, non-white. And then I made it in 75. And we won the provincial trophy
2: okay
1: so that's my first taste of a provincial trophy I've won club trophies
2: yeah.
1: with my school and, and with the club but this is now my first real taste so now I've left school
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I'm doing an apprenticeship joinery for three years So, I then went home and I said to my parents, look, if I qualify as a joiner, that's me having something behind my name and then I want to go to the UK to see whether I can make a career out of cricket. Mm -hmm. To a certain extent, they agree, but didn't give me confirmation that yes, you can go. Mm -hmm. All right? So during that season, something happened. The whole, there was about, I think, for more than three or four years during that time until 75, attempts were made to join forces, the whites and the non-whites cricket unions to join forces, right? And there were there were discussions politically that, you know, they're gonna release Nelson Mandela and all that, right? Well, but everything was so uncertain and so confusing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I played in the game before 75 where the non-white Western Province team played against the white Western province team. Okay. That was the first ever.
0: What was that? Oh, that, 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 that must have been quite uh that must have been quite high tensions or, or was it, what is it what kind of spirit was the match play then?
1: Well it was what happened was that we arrived at the ground I remember Eddie Barlow was the captain of the Western province white team. Yeah he was a liberal he fought the government um, for its apartheid policies okay on and off the field okay he was very outspoken against apartheid okay so he he arrived at the ground and he came into our dressing room and he called our captain and the two of them spoke and whatever they decided they came back in and the one captain, our captain, was allowed to select a player and then he will select a player. So you select a player from the one side and then yep. you must select the player from the other side. Okay. So the actual game started a totally mixed.
0: Ah, okay. And
1: you know what happened?
0: The gu- I can imagine that that, rocked up, that that ruffled up a few feathers higher above.
1: Oh, huge. But in terms of the game, yeah. it ended last ball, six runs required by the batting side. Okay. And they got it. And who,
0: was the, captain? who was the captain? Which, cap, which
1: team was it? Was it Eddie Barlow's team or was it? Eddie Barlow's team won it, yeah. Okay and I played in his team, Okay, and it was, it was just, a, you couldn't have written the script any better. Mm-hmm. It was so competitive, right, and, and at the end of the game, we were all sitting in the same dressing room, having a chat about the game, and you realize, but we're all human beings. We we're all, all love human- what we're doing. Yeah, but that must have been, Omar, for you, that must have been,
0: I mean, you've grown up all your life being alienated away from mixing with these people to sit in the same changing room. And, and it sounds like Eddie Barlow, what a man. Like, he he, he sounds like a, a real, you need people like that. You know, we need these Nelson Mandela's and these different yeah. types of people to bring different cultures together. Um, what a special moment that must have been for you, as well as, you know, a lot, did, did you find that you were still sitting in amongst some people that were not agreeing with the fact
1: that you were sitting there or did, did it all just come together? Well, I think I think it all came together. I think there was a deep-rooted desire for people to play with and against one another. Yeah. To see who is the best. You yeah. always wanted to compete against the best, right? Yeah. And, I, and, and that's the impression I got and but to come back to that season when we wanted what what happened was that they the government relaxed some laws all right mm-hmm. so non white could for argument's sake stay in a hotel a white hotel yeah but you must have a permit okay all right okay our cricket association banned us from going to Newlands. So where I was brought up sitting in this non-white section, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, because I'm a provincial non-white cricketer now, I can't go to Newlands anymore.
2: Okay.
1: So you can imagine that confusion.
2: Yeah.
1: All right. So what happened was we played a game in Durban against Natal. And our game the first day was washed out the Mm -hmm. pitch got wet and we couldn't play but we had to drive past Kingsmead, the white cricket stadium Mm -hmm. and they were playing because they had all the resources to cover the pitch and whatever the case is They started late and our we came from our ground just after tea time Mm -hmm. And after tea, what happens in those games, you don't pay anymore. So the gates are open and you can sneak in, right? Okay. So we were so inquisitive. It was about six or seven of us in, 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 in our vehicle.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we said, hey, the game is on. Let's go and have a look. So yep. we sneaked in yep. and, we, and we were lying behind the the grass banking and and just our heads to sneak and see what it's like, you know? Yeah. Um. And we stayed possibly about 10 minutes, and we left. Then somebody reported us to our association. So when we came back to Cape Town, we were immediately uh, told that we need to appear in front of a disciplinary committee. Yeah. And fortunately, or unfortunately for me, that specific disciplinary meeting was held in Stellenbosch, in my hometown.
2: Okay.
1: And it was done in a hotel, in a non-white hotel, and blah, blah, blah. So the seven of us was there, and I arrived. And when I arrived at that disciplinary hearing, It was open to the public and that that thing was packed in the windows right Mm -hmm. and everybody was shouting to my teammates who were sitting there and I walked down the aisle there towards them we sellouts right because during that time there were protest, political protest as well. Yeah. And they were killing people, necklacing them with tires, where they put the tire over your head and they burn it. Uh, put it on fire and they burn it, right? Mm-hmm. So I walked into this environment that is, I mean, it was was frightening in a way, mm-hmm. but I I don't know about the other six guys,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but I felt I did nothing wrong
2: mm-hmm.
1: to deserve a ban,
2: right? Mm-hmm.
1: So I went to sit down and they started this meeting and the chairman said, uh, look, guys uh, gave a long speech and blah, blah, blah. And he said, look, if you apologize, then uh, you're guilty. If you apologize, then, you know, you can come back and play. Mm -hmm. But the same association took out the permit for us to stay in a white hotel.
0: Yeah. So it's kind of of
1: hypocritical there. Absolutely. Very much a double standard thing. You understand? So, So I'm saying, hold on, hold on, hold on. I only went in there because I was inquisitive.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I just wanted to see something yeah. that I've never seen before,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? I comply with a, with a ban of not going to Newlands. Somebody was grew up at Newlands, grandfather, blah blah blah, but when that policy was made, when I played for the winter cricket, I didn't go back to Newlands. Mm-hmm. Durban I've never seen, I've never seen Kingsmead, I was just inquisitive.
2: Yeah.
1: So I said to them, I will apologize if the association apologized to us for putting up, taking out the permit to allow us to be whites for what you're saying for that three or four days that we lived there. Mm-hmm. And that just created absolute carnage.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? So much so that I was told to leave the meeting and I'm banned for life. Right?
0: How dare you how dare you question the question the hypocritical border?
1: Absolutely. So I left and you can imagine the cloud hanging over my head now, in my own community. I'm a sellout.
2: Yeah.
1: I'm um, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So I got home and I told my parents. Um, they backed me all the way um, yeah. because they understood that the situation. Yeah. You know. And, and that was it. So for days I was just wandering around and blah, 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 and uh, eventually I then, a friend of mine who played with me in the provincial setup, that was 76. He went to Manchester and played for a club. Okay. But he took a gap year um and he wanted to go the following year to to university
2: Mm
1: -hmm. or two years later he wanted to go to university so he went 76 77 he went back and then he asked them he told them that he's got a mate in south africa And he gave them this big story about me and whatever the case. I don't know what he told them, Mm
2: -hmm. but
1: I just got a telegram to say, if you can find yourself in the UK um, for the second half of the season, um, they want to have a look at you. So I went. And I was introduced by possibly the wetter second half in Manchester,
2: right? Typical
1: Manchester. So you now I am looking playing all my cricket in sunny South Africa, hard, wickets, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I'm now on soft puddings. Mm-hmm. I couldn't hit the ball off the square.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? I managed to scrape a fifty together. I bowled reasonably well. I adjusted quite quickly how to bowl on those pitches and cut a long story short just before the season finished. I remember old guy he must have been in his late 70s but he's played all his life at the club and he was a committee member all right and he said to me son You are a natural cricketer. But the English conditions don't suit you. You cannot play on these pictures. I tell you what, it hit me. It hit me hard. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: But it was the end of the season. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So I left. Not knowing anything, do I go back? Do they want me? No, blah, blah, blah. Right? Mm -hmm. February the following year, I got a telegram from the captain of the club.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I got to know him quite well.
2: Yeah.
1: And we were almost cut from the same cloth in terms of our competitiveness. Mm -hmm. The desire to play positive cricket, winning cricket, take risks, et cetera, right? And the telegram in those days was saying, you know, the postman brings it and you've got to sign off that you received it and whatever the case is. And, and it says, look, if you... He, had, he ran his own business. So he says, I'll pay for your flight. I'll give you accommodation. I'll give you a car. You work for me from Monday to Friday and play for the club on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. yeah. Not a, not it's a bad deal good. for it's a, pretty good. It's a
0: pretty good gig. That when you're a
1: young, boy. not a bad. Deal. Yeah. So I, I just went to my parents and says, "Thank you very much. I must take this."
2: Yeah. So just
0: to confirm, Omar, what what age were you now? I'm now 24,
1: 25.
2: 24.
0: You're still banned by the association. You've got like a life ban at this moment in time. I had a life ban.
1: Okay. Yeah, I had a life ban. Okay. So, so before I left South Africa, I went to join a white club in Cape Town. Okay. And we were basically the first non-white players to play in a white league.
0: How did they accept you though? I don't understand. How was that
1: allowed? Well because the government started to relax the okay. laws okay this chairman of this particular white club a guy called gerald malany
2: mm-hmm.
1: he was quite a smart lawyer mm-hmm. and he challenged the government in that time so he opened his club for non-whites
2: okay
1: so he gave me a call and he set me down and he said look if they lock you up i will i will fight your case okay so he gave me that guarantee and then he said look i want you to come and play for my club you know Mm -hmm. so i said to him look i don't want any privileges nothing all i want is you can register me i'll play in your second team yeah if i'm good enough if i perform good enough then it's up to you to select me. Okay. For your first team. Yeah. In that same season, I played. I played in his first team, and then I got selected for the Western Province white B team.
0: Okay, that's a big. That's 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 that. Meanwhile, you must have been getting some bad negativity from your from your from the,
1: from the coloured association while this is all going on. I, I got huge threats, right? Um, people wanted to bomb my parents' house and they wanted to necklace me and blah, 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 right? Yeah. But be that as it may, um, again, my upbringing was so sound that for some reason I could deal with it. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't afraid to confront it. Yeah. Because. Answers were clear. I knew I was in a cellar. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So whoever tried and sort of confronted me, I made them sit down and I said, "Look, let's talk." Yeah. You haven't heard my story. Yeah. Let me tell you my story, and then you make up your decision. And say right now who's the sellout here?
2: Mm-hmm. You understand. Mm-hmm.
1: In any case, I I, I sort of um, what's his name that wave and and I went and I played and then left for the UK for a full season.
2: Yeah.
1: Now that that message of this old guy, lovely guy. Yeah. Right. Played all his years. In the Lancashire League, knows all the cricket well, blah, 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 blah. Can give you all the history. Lovely guy to sit with, right?
2: Yeah.
1: But that message of you cannot play on English conditions was still in the back of my mind. Okay. So I arrived there. Um, the club haven't won the league for almost 30 years. Right? Mm-hmm. Very small village called Nicholas, um, just on the outskirts of of, of Manchester
2: mm-hmm.
1: lovely community, um, very passionate about the cricket and etc right so um, from where I came from, it was nice. it was that little warmth of that community you know that attracted me mm-hmm. so um I fitted in nicely, I felt at home and I, I sensed that the captain, he never told me that he's got this ambition to win the league.
2: Yeah.
1: Until the last game of the season, no, the second last game of the season. And we needed to win the game, to win the league. Yeah. And he just told me Before we left, before I left the dressing room to go in and back, and the weather was dodgy, and he says to me, You don't come off the field until we win this game. It can bucket down, but you stay there until the winning runs is called. Right? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So then I realized, Hold on. This is serious. This is serious stuff. So I went in, cut a long story short, got the runs. And what he did, he organised a celebration party at his house for the entire club. Yeah. In that short space of time, that I was batting, Mm -hmm. the closer we got the more he finalized that that party was going to happen that evening. Okay. I promised you, I have never seen people laugh, cry of emotions, yeah. of celebrations. you know? And what made me really felt good was that I could have contributed
2: mm-hmm.
1: Happiness.
0: Yeah, of the people of that village there. I mean, the whole village must have been there in that house.
1: The whole village was there.
2: Yeah.
1: You know? And that's when I realized what sport can do.
2: Yeah.
1: You know? Um, It can lift you for whatever I went through in my own career, in my own upbringing. Um, yeah, I come to a first world country,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and here's a community in a first world country that somebody from a third world country that has been segregated in apartheid and, mm-hmm. you know, didn't have any privileges come and he can assist. I mean, it, it just gave me a different perspective.
0: Different perspective in life, I'd imagine, altogether. And how and and how it should be, and how it should be really, you know, to get that much love as well. You must have been feeling such a, you know, all that hard work, all those tough times you've been through. Finally, you were starting to get some, you know, some reward for your for your actions. That you know, there's good people out there, um, and you're a good man, and you've been doing good work. But in South Africa, you were probably a lot of self-doubt because you were constantly up against apartheid and different. Negative, negative impacts?
1: Well, there was a lot of negativity around me, but I, to be quite honest with you, saying that I can't say to you why it happened, mm-hmm. but the ne- negativity has never infiltrated me. I managed to block it out. Mm-hmm. And I always, I mean, whatever situation I found myself in with my back against the wall, most times I found a solution. Some way, somewhere, somewhere I got out of it. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And another door opened and I got an opportunity and I just carried on with that passion and the love and the commitment and the enjoyment of playing and meeting new people and competing. Um, Sometimes the results go your way, sometimes the results don't go your way. Mm-hmm. but it is not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. I never saw losing as a failure. I saw it as a learning curve, yeah. you know, um, and, and competing was a journey to, to get better, mm-hmm. you know, to improve yourself in cricket and as a human being,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and, and that was me basically.
0: Amazing. I mean, I still got. We still. We're not done yet, Omar. So I hope you're not. I hope you've not got anything planned for the for the foreseeable, because we we've still got a little bit of this journey to go. So you go back. Now you went on to take 434, I believe, first-class wickets, an average of 24.97, to be precise. Did you then? You mentioned there you were playing for a a white, you know, a white club. Did you then break in to become a white, eventually start taking part in the because you were banned from the 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 your your association? Did you then play first class ticket from there in South Africa in a in the white league? In the white first class setup? So what yes. year from until did you play in that setup?
1: From 77. Yeah. I played for the whites?
2: Yeah.
1: Right. And believe me. My first captain, officially at Western Province Whites. Yeah. Was Ibalo.
2: Yeah.
0: Right. You must have been quite comfortable going in under his captaincy after what
1: you'd seen of him as a person. Well, I mean, it was, uh, we just clicked. Yeah. We just clicked as human beings, as as cricketers. And he mm-hmm. became a mentor of mine. Yeah. Um, and I, I will used to... I used to go to him and really confine in a lot of things with him. Mm-hmm. Um, when when I got the opportunity to go to the UK, he was one of the guys that I spoke to and said, "Look, what what do you what do you think?"
2: Yeah,
1: he said to me, "Just go and enjoy. Mm-hmm. Don't think about money. Just enjoy what you're doing." If you enjoy what you're doing and you look after the game, the game will look after you. Yeah. And and it was possibly the best advice anyone could have given me. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and 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 I I really um, appreciated that kind of advice. Mm-hmm. You know. So. I, I then I mean even during that time playing for him, I remember because the country was in a transition
2: mm-hmm.
1: I remember we were practicing one game um, on a Wednesday afternoon our, 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 our games normally started um, on a Thursday no Friday Saturday and then it was Sunday off and then Monday it was three days yeah the first class cricket in those days right mm-hmm. So on a Wednesday afternoon, we will practice or Wednesday whole day. And then we, so we practiced that morning at Newlands and part of the team decided to go to a restaurant and have lunch, right? Mm -hmm. I was part of that guys. So we had lunch at this restaurant. Mm -hmm. So the game started on the Friday. So the Thursday night, I was staying in Cape Town for the okay. game. So I thought, okay, let me go to this restaurant. I've been there, and you know the food was nice. Mm-hmm. Lo and behold, I got there, and the manager said to me, "No, you can't come in. We don't serve non-whites." Oh. I was there this afternoon. right so the people are sitting in the restaurant and i'm standing at the door there that you know and uh he said to me i'm sorry but that's the liquor law i said but i don't drink alcohol
2: yeah
1: i was here this afternoon Mm -hmm. so i said okay okay never mind don't worry don't 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 make an issue Um, i'll go
2: yeah
1: not knowing that there was a journalist in the restaurant. Okay. So I went. I went somewhere else. The morning of the game, on my way to the ground to Newlands, headline posters on the polls, Omar Henry being refused to be served in the restaurant.
2: Okay.
1: Entry into the huge okay now i'm driving and i'm seeing this posters right Mm -hmm. i've got a game to go and play
2: yeah
1: as i arrived at newlands now the cameraman and the journalist are waiting for me yeah now what do i do now okay no cell phones in those days where maybe i can phone eddie barlow and say listen this right yeah so I just decided no comment until I spoke to him
2: yeah
1: right so I got to the steps up to the dressing room and he's waiting for me
2: mm-hmm.
1: and all he asked me is this true And I said yes
2: yeah
1: so he he says what did you say to that? I said no I didn't say anything so he left it and he He just said, I'll deal with it. So that evening, his sort of statement came out. The whole of the Western Province um, team boycotted that restaurant. They will never eat there again. Right? Yeah. And that is for any other restaurant in Cape Town. If they don't allow me in Good. So here I am and I had to play this game. And again, this cloud is, is hanging over my head and whatever yeah. the case. Be yeah. that as it may, um, we won the game, etc. So in that initial stages, you had these barriers still yeah. coming in front of you and you have to then just Either jump over it, underneath it, sideline it, whatever, and just carry on,
2: yeah um,
1: but you know it was nothing new to my journey
2: mm-hmm.
1: It was nothing new to my journey,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know and i and i I saw them as as challenges mentally um, and and also, how much do you want this? And how much change do you want to see in South Africa?
2: Yeah.
1: And if my sort of, um, where the, the restaurant owner didn't want to admit me to his restaurant, then if the boycott of the Western Province team will help them to open their eyes and realize mm-hmm. that we're moving towards a new South Africa, yeah. then I'm quite happy.
2: Yeah
1: to go through that. Yeah. If you want to call it pain, I just call it the journey.
0: Yeah. To be honest, it wasn't like you were able to force that upon your teammates. Anyway, your teammates cho- chose to make that decision themselves. So it wasn't like you could have had that. If they didn't want to do it, they wouldn't have done it. Your teammates yeah. had your back and that was the start of something that let's be honest, the apartheid, uh, you know, it's, it's not the way human beings should live. We are all okay. we are all equal. We're all, we're all. and So I never, I would, I've never, me from my viewpoint, never, I've never agreed with that. So anything that tries to change that and bring things together, is is the best outcome. And that is always from every story you're telling me. You were never guilty of doing that day when you got dragged in front of your association and you had, you know, people were angry with you. You hadn't done anything wrong. You were, you, you love cricket and you wanted to go and experience what the inside of Kingsmead stadium was like and, and you know you you didn't do anything wrong when you went to seek cricket elsewhere you weren't doing anything wrong and you were you I, I'd imagine you know your story is quite amazing that you started knocking barriers down slowly slowly move I mean did you in that period of time 77 to like the 90s were you did any other colored players start to come into the the setup playing first class cricket with whites or were you solely the were you the only one?
1: No, no, the numbers, the numbers started to increase. Okay. Um, you know, the, the official unification came um, just before the 92 Cup.
2: Yeah. Right? Yeah.
1: So, so from, from 77 until 92, yeah. just before unification, mm-hmm. there was a gradual increase of players coming over to play with the white clubs join yeah. um, Joined other white clubs, um, you know. Um, so I think any transition doesn't matter what you call it politically or whatever. Um, it has got its own pattern.
2: Yeah.
1: It's got its own way of finding a path. You understand? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we human beings, we're all different. We think differently, etc. Right? We behave differently.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and for me, I I was just looking to do what I love,
2: yeah, right, mm-hmm.
1: and what I like, and through cricket to break down those barriers of discrimination. Yeah, that is the best tool I had. It was the best thing I know to prove to whites that I am their equal. Yeah. If they cannot see me as a human being with two legs, two arms, two eyes, two ears, mm-hmm. same as them, then I will take them on what they think they're good at. Yeah. And what I think I'm good at. Yeah. And we see.
2: Yeah.
1: And I think through that journey, um, we. We we sort of got respect for one another. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. I made friends for life.
0: I can imagine. I can imagine you must have changed so many perceptions of um, of players, white players that you played with. That must have just you know, just the, the mentality just changed. And and it sounds like you paved the way in early days. Obviously, we're going to go on to talk about. Some other big big moments that, that come in your career, but as a, as a first class cricketer, you paved the way for so many the colored the color, the, color the, the people from a colored background were able to look at Omar Henry and see that you know he was able to do it, we can do it as well. And ultimately, I'd imagine growing up, you always wanted to play, you said it earlier, the highest level of cricket and compete against the best there is. So the, the, there was obviously other other youngsters coming through that started following it, and they weren't as afraid. You did it at a time when you probably had stones, and you know everything was threatening coming your direction. But as time went on, slowly, slowly, obviously Nelson Mandela um, must have had a big influence as well. You know, t- talk to me about your, your 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 love for Nelson Mandela and what your what influence he had on on you. And, and colored people in
1: general in South Africa. Well, just the mere fact, when, when they had the unity talks, you know, and he, he sort of, he made that speech where he said that sport is the best vehicle to bring people of different cultures,
2: mm-hmm.
1: different races, different yeah. beliefs, different religions mm-hmm. together as one. yeah. Sport has has got that mechanism, Mm -hmm. that strength. He just strengthened what I believed in. He just gave me even more driving force and belief that what I'm doing is the right thing. Mm -hmm. You know? And I was fortunate um, the... This match in, in, um, in Johannesburg that I played, yeah. I, it happened where I met him personally.
2: Wow.
1: I mean, that was possibly one of the greatest moments in my life. Yeah. What was so beautiful, every player that he shook hands with, he knew something about that player. He was an unbelievable human being.
2: Yeah. You know?
1: So for me, uh, y- you know, th- those are the kind of people that inspired me, mm-hmm. um, that sort of gave me that extra um, inspiration and courage to even work harder and, and, and try and contribute. Yeah. One look after the game of cricket Mm -hmm. and try and influence people to always look to play better now to play better you have to become better Mm -hmm. you know if you've got bad habits and you want to play good cricket there's gonna be huge conflict within you yeah I mean, you've played cricket. You know what it's like.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, if, if, if there's no clarity in your mind, you can love the game as much as you want. But if there's no clarity in your mind on how you're going to play that particular game and give it the full commitment and really fought, if, the, if there's some time in the game where your back is against the wall you will really graft it out or you will battle it out, you're going to give up. Yeah. And, and and for me, it is one thing that I didn't know exist in my vocabulary and that is to give up.
2: Yeah.
1: I didn't know when to give up.
0: Well, you know, you you, you mentioned that and I'm, I'm going to mention it to for all the listeners to, to know. You made history in, uh, in the year of 1992. Where sadly as well you know reading up and it's sad, it's like a, it's sad and it's it's amazing at the same time. you were forty years old by this point, so you know you'd you'd been through your best your best years. God knows how much you could have done if you'd got the chance earlier, but due to the political circumstances, you were not able to, but even still, what a proud moment that you were able to be the first Player of colour since 1912. Where, if I please, correct me if I pronounced it, Charlie Llewellyn.
1: Yeah, Llewellyn.
0: Llewellyn was the one who played last. So all these years later, Omar Henry, 1992, played ODI and Test match. A couple of three Test matches to be to be precise, I believe. Um, You became the first coloured player to play for South Africa. Um, you mentioned Nelson Mandela was there to you met him personally. All those years, all those kind of barriers that you broke down, you must have you must have felt top of the world at that point.
1: Well, I, I, I think you, you you're absolutely right. Um, Age wise, I was possibly past my sell by date. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happened was. Um, when Eddie Barlow left Western Province, he went to Yeah. right? Um, and he asked me to go with him, and I said, no, I wanted to stay. So I stayed, and I played under Peter Kirsten. Peter Kirsten was my captain.
2: Yeah.
1: And I played for Western Province, and we won the Curry Cup. The Curry Cup is the, the first-class trophy.
2: Yeah.
1: It's the premier trophy, that, right? Yep and we won the Nissan Shield which was the first year overs. So we were a very successful team.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: At the end of that season, Western Province didn't give me a contract, right? Mm-hmm. So I decided, right, if you think I'm not good enough, then that's fine. Eddie Barlow asked me to come with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I've watched them. They play, Borland played in the B section
2: yeah
1: of the first class right mm-hmm. and they just won the B section yeah I just won the A section with Western Province mm-hmm. So I go and I said all right okay I will go to the B section it is also a successful unit
2: yeah
1: so I left and Bolan headquarters was in Stellenbosch, So that's my hometown So now I'm basically, for the first time, after a long time, I am now going to play provincial cricket in my hometown. I've never played provincial cricket in my hometown.
2: Okay.
1: For me, that was a big thing. Yeah. Right? So off I went. I played there from 83 till 78. And we won the trophy three times.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Right? And I eventually became vice captain of the team. And what happened was that there was a there was a structure whereby the B provinces, there was about eight B provinces that competed in that competition, Mm -hmm. right? And they, they, Cricket South Africa or the United Cricket Board of South Africa started a new structure whereby they had an extra team made up of this B provinces. And they called this team Impalas, right? And they played 45 over Benson and Hedges day and night cricket. That was the introduction Mm -hmm. of floodlight cricket. Okay. Right. So I played for them for about three, four years. Now, the way they worked it out was: the province who supply the most players to that team and do well in the B province get promoted then to the A section. Okay. All right. So free state was the first team out of that Impala setup mm-hmm. to go up right, okay. to, the, to the A section. Okay. And they had the likes of Alan Donald, Corey Fonseil, uh, Hansi Cronje and those kind of players, right? Yeah. So I played with them for the Impalas yeah. and then they went up. Okay, When they went up, they had success and they won the Floodlight Cricket, the Benson and Edges. They beat Western Province at Newlands, right? Yeah. So during that winter, no, there was a game where I played for the Impalas against Free State in Free State. Mm-hmm. And we gave them a good game. We almost beat them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the CEO, and it was Hansi's late father, he just died the other day, mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. lovely man, great man, came to me in the dressing room and they said they just need to speak to me. I mustn't leave immediately, they just want five or ten minutes of my time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But when I finished showered, Before I got into the car, they said, we would like you to come and play for us. Okay. Now you must remember, Free State is an Afrikaans province. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. Just like Stellenbosch, it is the bastion of apartheid.
2: Yeah.
1: Right? Mm -hmm. And they now asking me to come and play there.
0: Peg, that's a big
1: that Yeah. By that time, I, my two, my, my eldest daughter was born in Scotland. Okay. Shereen. Yeah. And my other daughter, Rihanna was born in Cape Town, but they were schooling in Scotland. Okay. They cannot speak Afrikaans. Okay. They're not brought up like me on Afrikaans. Yeah. They brought up on English. Yeah. They had a Scottish accent, right? Yeah. yeah. So I said to them, I said, look, you know what? If it's just up to me, I'll possibly come tomorrow. Yeah. Because I just want to play cricket.
2: Yeah.
1: But I've got a family. So the best thing for you is, if you can convince my wife, if she says yes tonight, I will sign that contract. Okay. Cut a long story short, right? Yeah. They found us while we were in Scotland. I was playing a game at Lords for Scotland against MCC. Yeah, you did
0: pretty well. You did pretty well in that game. Yeah, you scored. You scored. Uh, you scored a hundred and two, I believe. Yeah.
1: Um, off like seventy odd balls. It was a great game. Yeah. It was a great game. Um, I think, Alistair Story scored a hundred. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And Foppy. Got runs as well. Ian Fop scored a hundred as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. And we beat MCC. At Lords amazing yeah yeah. so but i mean all this happened and cut a long story short my wife negotiated and told them about what she wanted for my children and for them and they said no problem Mm -hmm. cut a long story short i played my best cricket in my entire career You can go look up in my stats Mm -hmm that that period in bloom mm-hmm. for free state i had my best performances
2: mm-hmm.
1: of my entire career they made us feel at home yeah i played my best cricket i played with a very good team the team won the curry cup Mm -hmm. In the centenary year of Free State cricket, when they were 100 years old, we won the Curry Cup. Mm -hmm. It was the last year of competing for the Curry Cup. Mm -hmm. After that, there was no more trophy like the Curry Cup. Mm -hmm. So we won the trophy, the Curry Cup with all its history. Free State was the last province to win it. And Cronier was the captain, Anti Cronier was the captain.
0: Ah right, okay. So so basically what you're telling me is I didn't mean to discriminate against your age when you got picked for South Africa. You know, you but you what you're saying is even at the age of forty when you got selected, you were still playing some bloody good cricket then. You were you were you were you you were you were rightfully getting selected. It was just unfortunate that the years were you didn't have 10 years in your locker or 15 years in your locker where you could have went on to play loads of tests. But you must still feel very grateful that you got that opportunity to, to to play play for your country because it may not have happened, Omar, if you didn't knock down all those barriers along the way. And now you've obviously, I just think it's an amazing story because you've obviously opened the door for so many other, you know, colored
1: players to come through and follow in your footsteps. Well, I think I was very, I was very fortunate. I was very, very fortunate to be quite honest with you. I, I chose a, a path that it wasn't planned. Mm-hmm. It was just a dream. Yeah. Right. It was a desire. Um, I had a love and a passion. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I was inquisitive and I wanted to test it. me. That's it. Mm-hmm. Right. So, that was the driving forces behind me, okay? But what, what really, really made, apart from that season I had in Manchester, where I had a phenomenal season, I mean, I, I, again, I couldn't tell you. I, I mean, by June, that season, I scored the most runs ever, in the leagues. I was top of all the league's mm-hmm. run scorers mm-hmm. by June,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? And then there was a hot streak, beautiful weather. And I, I, I remember the Saturday we played a league game. And I scored 184. I hit 18 sixes. Right yeah I, I I couldn't believe what I did, yeah, all right, the Sunday, we played a cup game,
2: yeah
1: and arrived at the game, beautiful day, lots of people, you know, typical village cricket, you know, people bringing their baskets and their little sandwiches and whatever the case is, and they sat around the ground and whatever. And we won the toss and the captain decided to we're going to bat. And I went into bat, 184 I got the previous day.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: First ball I faced, the guy bowled me behind my legs and he nipped legs down. And the bales went up like that and came down into the slot again.
0: (laughs) They must have been gutted knowing that you got 184 the day before.
1: The keeper said to me, how lucky can you be? I said, what do you mean? I was on my way to walk. I was on my bike. Yeah. The bales went back into the slot. Yeah. Right? 243 runs later <laughs>
2: Oof.
1: 23 sixes
0: oh my days that was a
1: sickening day for those poor blocks i tell you what monday morning when i woke up i couldn't drink coffee Oof. my forearms were sore Oof. i couldn't lift it up to drink coffee but Just that you know that entire weekend, that entire season, and then the chairman of Scotland phoned me three weeks after that. I was still at min in Manchester mm-hmm. and I think that was a u-turn in my entire career. Mm-hmm. all of a sudden i was I was given this enormous project of when i arrived at pollock they gave me a three-year contract Mm -hmm. i've never had a three-year contract in my life
2: yeah
1: i mean that was almost an insurance policy
2: yeah
1: at the time you know and the guys never saw me i came only i went up to scotland just for two weekends i played half a game because the previous game was rained off you know Um, but that that first two seasons at Polo, I think I took on something that I I was I was out of my depths.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. On that three-year contract, mm-hmm. and then in my second year, when Scotland picked me against Australia, mm-hmm. after the game, they came and they. They bought my contract out, my three-year contract, and they gave me a five-year contract. Whoa. To be quite honest with you, I think I was out of my depth because yeah. the, 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 what's his name, the brief that they gave me was, Scotland don't want to be a county. They didn't want to play county cricket. Mm-hmm. They wanted to be a country. They wanted to go to the World Cup. Yeah. Now you can imagine in those days, I was playing with 11, with 10 amateurs. Yeah. For Scotland against counties.
2: Yeah.
1: And now I've got to look for whatever time I've got to now put the process in place, and mm-hmm. project in place, mm-hmm. to get Scotland to qualify for a World Cup. Yeah. It was almost mission impossible. Yeah. But I was so naive. I was so passionate. I was so in love. Right? Mm -hmm. I just just said, right, this is it. I'll eat this mountain bit by bit. Yeah. And I will learn as quickly as I can on this journey. Mm -hmm. And as long as I look after the game, for the right reasons.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I will make mistakes. Yeah. That I know. But I, I believe that I will get
2: there.
1: Mm-hmm. And the rest is basically history. Well,
0: you played, you, you came to Scotland in 81. Um, pretty much were, were, were with Scotland till 92 when you, you, you know, made your, you went to play for South Africa. Um, 62 caps you had in that time now you you mentioned what your role was there you were player you did i believe you did captaincy, and you were coach you know you were ticking you were you were you were you were playing with guys that probably had day jobs by every other week so i I know from coming through and that that setup you know we didn't get contracts and stuff like that until very very not quite recently so contracts they were unheard of in those times um now. You know, I, I I didn't get. I felt sad actually. Um, I spoke to a few a few people, and I've got i got a couple of couple of main quotes for you here. The first one I've got is from a man that you know I just posted his his interview up today. Um, great man. I I, lo- I love playing with him. Learned a lot. He was a hero to me growing up. That's Gavin Hamilton. So I yeah, messaged Gavin Hamilton. I messaged Gavin Hamilton last night. And I said, Gav, I'm I'm interviewing Omar Henry um, tomorrow. Really excited about it. Can you tell me, because he mentioned um, in our interview, I'll send you the link afterwards for you to watch it. He mentioned about you getting hold of him as a young lad and saying, come on over to South Africa. So I said, tell me, tell me, tell me tell me a quote, tell me something. And his quote was, quite simply, without Omar, my professional career would not have happened. He gave me an opportunity like no other at the time and to play some of the toughest learning experience cricket there was. Those two summers at St. Andrew's School and playing from Money Cricket Club in Bloemfontein gave me the confidence and the skills to take the next step into county cricket. So that was the first one. Then I called up another chap who I looked up to growing up a chap called Bruce Patterson, and Bruce Patterson said to me, I can't put it down in writing. You need to call me tomorrow morning. Here's my number. So lo and behold, this morning, I phoned up Bruce Patterson. It wasn't a clear quote, but just to give you some stuff. He said, Omar Henry taught me so much about life. He single-handedly changed my perception of what life was like and what real challenges were in life you know he was a he came from a privileged background he didn't quite understand the differences of maybe what asian players were going through coming through in glasgow you know what kind of you know he said that you man manage every single player differently the way you and it makes me now you were mentioning when you were talking about the gentleman that coached you or coached you out a book in a very young age and you said he allowed you to express yourself. Well, that's what that's what Bod said about you. He said, you never put him in a box. You allowed every single person around you to flourish. He said, you used to highlight the county players as they're lazy. You know, they bring in these, these overseas professionals and they're on money and you guys are better than they are. He said, you gave them confidence. He said, as a 16 year old, he was a bowler. By 17, you had turned him into an opening batsman who believed in himself. He obviously went on to open the bank for Scotland in the 1991-99 World Cup. He said that would never have happened if Omar Henry didn't have influence in my career. He said you were an amazing captain, amazing player, amazing coach, and just an amazing all-round person. Now, listening to this, I obviously came through and played for Scotland from 2007 onwards. I got to work with some good coaches, you know. I had my differences with some coaches. It kind of made me sad because Bruce Patterson said to me, "If you had got to work with an Omar Henry, your career, Kaz, would have went so much further." Now I don't blame my, don't blame anything on anybody. We're, and I, and after talking to you, I certainly don't. Bl- I will never blame anything for anybody ever again because the barriers you have knocked down along your way to get to where you have got to is, is amazing. I mean. Nobody has the right in Scotland or in the UK to say they have it tough because we really don't. We've got a – we're definitely – we have a privileged background. But it did make me sad a little bit that I didn't get to come through your tutoring. Um, I got the pleasure of meeting you very briefly out in Kings – funny enough, in Kingsmead Stadium. At that point, you would have been the chairman of selectors for South Africa. I had come out with a Western District team that was coached by Mike Stanger Ian Stanger was there. We were, the, we were the kids, so we didn't get to come round to the back to meet you. Um, but we got a brief, you came, and, you, you came and said hello to us briefly. You were a busy man, obviously. You were involved in stuff that was going on. Australia played an ODI that day against South Africa. Australia won the game comfortably. From that moment on, I then researched you, because I didn't know who you were, really. I, you know, I was young, coming through. I was looking at the people that were involved at that time. I was quite amazed by your career. Um, I've now, uh, I have now have the pleasure of playing against your son um, in the league, Riyadh. So I had a channel to get in touch with you through Riyadh. He kindly uh, got in touch with you and, and arranged this interview. Um, it's, been, it's, been a, it's been an absolute pleasure. You know, I could sit and listen to you for hours longer, um, but I'm sure you've got things to do. I can hear my five-month-old daughter in the background getting a little bit agitated. So I need to go and I, I go and start getting involved in the house. But you know, it's, um, you, you know, it's amazing. You went on to become the chairman of selectors. You changed, you really did change a lot of things. Um, you brought up, I think you have three, three lovely children, two daughters and your son, Viad. Um, he's a lovely boy. He's doing very well for himself over in Scotland. Um, I hope you get over again. And uh, you know, obviously this season, nothing, nothing is happening. I hope you can come over next season. I would love to sit down and have dinner with you and and, and pick your brain some more. But I just want to say from me to you, uh, Omar, and from a lot of people in Scotland, thank you very much for everything you've done for Scottish cricket. Um, And I'm sure I'm interviewing a young South African player in a couple of days' time, Fadji Farhan Bahardin, who I played with at Western Province Academy. I'm sure he will tell me about the influence you probably had on him and in South African cricket.
2: And I just want to again say thank you very much for, for coming on today. Okay. Loved it.
1: Now I've got to thank you. I think, um, Sammy, um, I just enjoyed watching it. Um, I wish you well in on you. your journey. I think thank you will you. find quite a lot of interesting stories. Um, and sometimes it's, it's good, you know, um, to tell these stories for other people to listen to it. Um, mm-hmm. And hopefully they can learn from it. Um you know, as far as Scotland is concerned i i it was for me like I said it wasn't planned
2: mm-hmm.
1: it was just uh, it just happened it was in the right place at the right time mm-hmm. um, and fortunately, for me, I never saw anything was too big or too difficult mm-hmm. you know um, and and the people that i That I played with and against in Scotland, um, they contributed to my growth enormously.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: That project, that project dominated my life. You know, it it was a stepping stone for me to excel in South Africa, believe me. Whatever I achieved in South Africa as an individual, and and as a team, I learned and I experimented and I succeeded in Scotland.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's what Scotland meant to me. That's what they 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 gave to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and and the people. I mean, a guy like the chairman. I think is there Donny Haynes or Pollock. Um, he just read about me in the in the Manchester paper. Yeah. He, he never met me until the time he phoned me.
2: Yeah.
1: He didn't know me. You know, so so it's amazing how things happen. Wow. Um, and today I've got friends for life. We on WhatsApp, we, we talk, and you know, whenever I come to Scotland, you know, um, my journey with a lot of players. Um, was absolutely fantastic. Um, And it it was never about me. It was more about the player. You know, how much can they grow? And how much do they want to grow? Um, And go out and experiment. And then when you come back, we talk. Why did you do that? What was that for? Mm-hmm. You know, and and we had our differences, but it was never personal.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, um, they both both the players that you that you spoke about, Bruce yeah. Patterson.
2: Yeah,
1: he is a very strong-minded individual.
2: Yeah,
1: right. Mm-hmm. But he's got a big heart.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree. You know, um,
1: I'll never forget when we played Australia at West of Scotland,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and Berb Hughes was running in, and, and I just said to him, it's just another bowler. Mm-hmm. If he bowls it short to you, and you want to hook it, hook it. Yeah. And he hit him out the ground into the street. I think he got 70 odd that day. Yeah. So the thing for me is, is that, you know, never ever put people in a box. Yeah. give people the space to grow and just guide
2: Yeah.
1: you know and let them enjoy life and whatever I mean Gavin Hamilton could have played possibly football for Arsenal yeah. um, he didn't take that you know mm-hmm. he decided to come to South Africa with me to the school where I coached he played from, with me for the club a natural athlete a natural athlete,
2: Yeah,
1: you know, you um, will possibly go down as one of the best all rounders um, that Scotland has produced. Yeah, absolutely. It's just a pity absolutely. for me that, you know, um, as a young man, he, he couldn't really go further, but I'm sure his journey was as enjoyable to him. That was my journey to me, you know? Yeah. But thanks a hell of a lot to you and all the best, man. And hopefully when I'm back in Scotland, I'll get the privilege to meet you and have a chat to you.
0: Inshallah, Inshallah. No, this is, this is, a, this is something I will look forward to. Um, I will be persuading Riyadh to push you to come over next season. Um, you need to be in the, the Clydesdale-Fergusley, right? Derby match. You know, you could, <laughs> that, that would be lovely to have you at a game like that. Um, but again, honestly... Thank you very much. Alhamdulillah, it's been, a, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. My best wishes to your family. Um, stay safe and healthy, and I look forward to, to speaking with you again soon.
1: Shukran, man, and all the best, and salam at home.
2: alaikum salam.
1: Shukran, salam.